you might be praying for Scott. I know that he gets a little nervous when I get up here. He's, uh, he never knows what comes out of my mouth. Had, had lots of prayers. Casey prayed for me this morning, She's, or last night. She said, please, Lord, don't let him mess up. And maybe the only way I can mess up is falling off the stage or something. I don't know. But uh, anyway, we'll try, we'll try not to. How about that? We're going, to t- we're going to be talking about living our beliefs. And as we go, as we've been this, through this last year, Kimberly mentioned that it was so good to see everyone in here. And hopefully we'll get this place back person to person, body to body, every seat filled as people get more comfortable with being here. Uh, you know, it says that in the last days there will be famines and earthquakes and pestilence. But we can't stop coming just because of that. We need to uh, show up every time the doors open. So let's, uh, it's just exciting for me. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not scared of COVID. It just excited me about, I, I don't know, the change, the fact that the world's in a little bit of turmoil, and turmoil is always a little bit exciting. But it, but it has. It's a place where we need to really live our belief, isn't it? As we get further and further into this, we'll realize that how important it is for our belief to be more or less up front so that people can see it, that they can go to the person of Jesus because that's where all our belief is focused, on Jesus. So I've got uh, three stories today about living our belief. I've got a story about a woman. I've got a man's story. And I've got a story about a goose. Lucy was a goose with, with a conviction. She only had one so far as we could tell. And, a, and it isn't a DUI, Michael. <laughs> I've known men that have more convictions than beliefs. But Lucy had one belief, and that was to protect Laura, my wife. Laura back in that day, and it was a while ago because our oldest three were little kids, so she had three little kids hanging on her legs, and it was quite an entourage when she went out to do chores or to do yard work. She had to have those three kids and two dogs and two cats following her all over the yard. And that summer she had Lucy as well. Lucy came to us with... uh, we had uh, four little ducklings, little mallards, that uh, their nest was run over by the swather, and so we'd, uh, t- the kids had taken those four eggs and hatched them. And so Lucy was intended to keep those four little ducklings company, but she didn't want anything to do with the ducklings, and the ducklings didn't want anything to do with her. And somehow in all that fray, she imprinted on Laura, which much to her dismay, means that every time she stepped out the door, Lucy was right on her tail. Followed her everywhere. It was quite an entourage. She was some, some kind of strange mixture of the Pied Piper and Little Bo Peep. With all these animals following her and the dogs and the cats and, and, and Lucy. Well, in the spring, we mark cattle, we work cattle, and so we were up in the corral this spring, and we had the whole motley crew there. Kids, dogs, cats, and Lucy. We could get the 
dogs out of the corral and the kids were out of the corral. They obeyed. But Lucy did what Lucy wanted to do, and she was right behind Laura every step of the way. Well, we had one cow get on the fight. We turned her loose from the head catch, and instead of going straight into the sponge that she was supposed to, she made a left-hand turn and made a circuit around the pen and put us all right on the fence. She was upset. Well, I'm an easy one to get on the fence. I'm easily intimidated, and 1,200 pounds intimidates me fairly rapidly. But the cow made the mistake of going after Laura. And that goose was after that cow, 12 pounds of fluff and, and feathers, after 1,200 pounds of angry ungulate. Uh, so she ran, and you know how a, a goose will? She ran after that cow, flapping her wings and squawking and honking and snapping. You could hear her beak snapping because she would snap. If you didn't get away from Laura, that duck would bite you. Now, they don't have teeth, but they can really pinch you pretty good. So, they, so, this, so this goose went after this big cow, and this cow just put her head down and ground Lucy right into the dirt. We thought her goose was cooked. But she got up. The cow backed off a little bit, and Lucy staggered back out of it and ruffled her feathers and wiggled her tail a little bit. And then she remembered where she was and went right back after that cow. That cow had all the goose she wanted, and she ran off down into the next, the next pen. Lucy lived her belief. She believed that Laura was to be protected, and that's what she did. Some beliefs are worth dying for. We'll find that maybe. Maybe not right now. But we will, in time, believe that some of our beliefs are worth dying for. Lucy was focused, not counting the cost. Of course, she couldn't count. <laughs> David, David of, as in David and Goliath, this is the next story. He is a man that had so much written about him that it's hard to... Hard to just bring it down to one little story, and this little, this little story is actually kind of humorous and, and, and interesting. Uh, David lived his beliefs mostly, didn't he? He may not have been as focused as Lucy, but his conviction rate was a little higher. <laughs> he had more than just one, although one for a goose is pretty good. David believed in the power and the authority of God's word explicitly. God was to be obeyed. God was to be revered. That was almost David's whole life. Uh, remember that Saul was the first king of Israel, and he Samuel anointed him. Samuel was God's word. He was a prophet. Back in those days, they used a prophet to bring God's word. And so Samuel anointed Saul, king of Israel. Well, Saul disobeyed, and so um, God decided to replace him, and he was going to replace him with someone who would obey. He replaced him with David. So Samuel, a little later, went out and uh, anointed David, king of Israel, though Saul was still, uh, ki still king. So this story, we're going to go to uh, 1 Samuel 24, 
King Saul was out to kill David. David had had some success. He'd killed Goliath. And then when Saul brought him into the household of the king, he prospered. He went out against Philistines, and he did pretty well. He was, he was a great campaigner. He was probably militarily very, very intelligent, and he was fearless. David was an incredible person. Uh, Saul was jealous, and he set out to kill David, mostly because he didn't want his kingdom given to David. He wanted it given to, to Jonathan, his son, which would be a normal thing for a dad, especially a dad who was a king. So Saul was, uh, had tried to kill him in the palace there a couple times, and then uh, D- David started running, and so he was out in the wilderness. Out in the wilderness, he gathered about, there was about 600 malcontent men that gathered around David. David was a, a natural-born leader, and so these men gathered around David, 600 of them. Uh, so he, but he's on the run. Sir, Saul was searching everywhere for David and he would get a word from somebody that David was up in this area of the wilderness and he would grab some men and go up and look for him. What we're seeing here in 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 in, in chapter 24 is that Saul has gotten word that that David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines he was told saying Behold, David is in the wilderness of the Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David turned, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of this cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he'd cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And so he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him? since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. You've got to kind of read between the lines on this. Uh, anytime you have God's word, it's condensed. So it's kind of like reading the Reader's Digest. So you can expand it by reading between the lines. Obviously, David was headed towards the, these rocks. What do you call them? The rocks of the wild goats. And I don't think he had all 600 men. It sounds more or less like maybe the 600 were camped at these rocks. And he was on his way, but he got caught out in the open. He could see, I mean, 3,000 men must create quite a dust as they walked. And so he could see that Saul was coming up with this army. And so he jumped into this cave because he's kind of caught out in the open. He didn't know where to go. And so he, he jumps into this cave, which is a sheepfold, that shepherds would bring their sheep in during the night and put them in here. And then the front of the cave usually had a, like a willow corral or something around it, rocks that they would stack up. The sheep couldn't get out. Well, in the back, it must be a fairly good-sized cavern. Uh, 
because Saul didn't see David's men or else he was, he, his eyes hadn't adjusted to the dark and he'd went back in. Obviously, Saul had a posted man out front because he didn't want other people. He's trying to save his kingly dignity and, and the restrooms are probably pretty hard to find. So, so he'd, he'd gone in to relieve himself and he's going into the back far enough that he couldn't be seen, but David's men are back there. Now, I, I'm not sure they've had this whispered conversation, which is incredible. Is, is, you know, you kind of think, is Saul deaf? He's got all these men in the back of this cave and they're having this whispered conversation about killing him or not. And uh, David must be, I, I mean, the guy's uh, got a wicked sense of humor. He gets up, he goes out and he cuts the tassel off of Saul's robe while well, Saul's going to the bathroom. He was preoccupied, obviously. Now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. So, so Saul had done his business and David had cut it off. That must be one sharp knife that no one would recognize someone cutting on your coat. So he cut the tassel off of this coat, and he goes outside as Saul walks away, and he calls after Saul. David is after this. So there's 3,000 of Saul's men out here. You can see where this guy is absolutely fearless. And he, and he holds up, and he says, King Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Here, here's the evidence. Now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord the king... And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, the day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And someone said to kill you, but my eyes had pity on you. And I, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you were lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, we're going to have to concentrate a little bit on this, on, on the anointing. Because Saul was the anointed king, that means that it is a lifetime appointment. The gifts and the calling of God, Paul says, are irrevocable. And so, until Saul died, as far as David was concerned, Saul was king. Even though David had been anointed as well. Anointing isn't just a funny little ceremony that they went through. It was, a, it was a sign of belief then. And so David believed that the authority of God rested on Saul. Saul's authority was God's authority. You can see where David believed in the power and the authority of God. He wouldn't touch Saul, even though Saul was seeking his life to kill him. He would not touch Saul. He would not kill Saul with his own hand. He was waiting for God because God didn't need David to interfere with that. When God wanted Saul replaced, God would replace Saul through his death. And he did. 
at the proper time. So David did the right thing. He believed in, in God's authority, and he believed that Saul had that authority until he died. He had a belief. Some beliefs take us farther than we ever expect to go. Here's this little shepherd boy who believed in the anointing of God, and this little shepherd boy became Israel's finest king. Some of our beliefs will take us farther than you want to go as far as risk as well. We need to go back and look at this story just a little bit because there's a cultural thing that we just kind of miss. It's, it's with the fringe. In this culture, the length of the robe and the fringe or the tassel attached to the hem was a status symbol. Jewish men were told to wear a tassel on the four corners of their robe. So they had four tassels, one on each front and two on the back. But the longer the robe, the more prestige that the person had. That's because you do not do manual labor in a long robe. Remember, do you, do you know that the Bible speak when it says, gird up your loins? Have you heard that phrase? They would grab their robe, pull it up between their legs, and then tie it up here with their belt. That's girding your loins. Then they could do something. But with the long robe, you didn't do manual labor. It would get in your way. You couldn't run. When Elijah, was Elijah who ran down the mountain in, in front? He girded up his loins so he could run, and he ran. <laughs> so, so the longer the robe, the more prestige. It's kind of like arriving at school in a Ferrari. Do you remember Joseph's coat of many colors? Do you remember that? That's a bad translation. It was a long coat. Not a, not a varied color coat. And do you real? I mean, when, when Jacob gave Joseph that coat, he instantly put Joseph, the youngest son, above all of his brothers. It infuriated them. So it was a long coat, and you could see the importance of the status because they were set to kill him. Of course, a few dreams about their sheaves bowing down to his sheave and, and the sun and the moon... Uh, all that just took him over the top and it, it, not only was that coat prophetic in, in saying that he would be a ruler but it also was almost, you know, it put him on the pathway to that because his brothers sent him down the road in slavery into Egypt the very first step that, that Joseph needed to go to in order to be that ruler that, that, that he was to be that, that actually earned the status of that long robe. So here we are in this cave. And David arose and cut the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him. Why did it bother him? Because to David, when he cut that tassel off the edge of Saul's robe he cut his kingdom off 
It was like having his hand. That's why I say David lived his beliefs mostly. But he prophetically, even if he might not have realized it, he cut the edge of Saul's robe. He cut the kingdom away. He cut the authority and the prestige away from Saul. Saul recognized it as well. If we go a little further in this story, let's go to uh, verses 16 in chapter 24. It says, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you've done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So as we, as we go along, we don't want to lose sight. Living our faith, living our belief. This last story, story of a woman. And let's go to Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. He was out on the road. He was, he was, um, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his coat, the tassel. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. And when a woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the, the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. These two stories go together. Jairus's and the daughters, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jarius, the official of the synagogue, had a daughter 12 years old that couldn't be healed. She was dying. The story about this woman is that she couldn't be healed either. And she'd been hemorrhaging for as long as that little girl had lived. In this culture, it's her menstrual flow. She, she had a 12-year menstrual period. 
You can't believe what this woman had put up with because a woman is unclean like a leper with inner menstrual flow. And so for 12 years, she has fought this thing. No one can heal her. She can't go outside her house or isn't supposed to anyway. If she gets caught outside of her house as unclean, she's contaminated however many people. And they, of course, they would be pretty upset with her for that. So she uh, is there following Jesus. And I, we don't know. It doesn't say if she'd followed Jesus for a long time. She obviously knew about Jesus, didn't she? She was there in the crowd. She was listening to what Jesus was saying. And she might have known the care that Jesus <clears throat> took with people, the love that he showed contrary to what the rulers and the, and, the, and the officials were doing. So we have this synagogue official. We have this picture of the established church. And then we have Jesus and the difference between them. And the, and, but, but what we see is this incredible picture that Jairus is breaking away almost in faith and following after uh, or at least asking for relief from Jesus. He loved his little girl. This woman showed the way. This woman lived her belief that God cared for her too. And whether she'd picked that up in the, in the, in the last month or two watching Jesus that God cared for her, or maybe she lived with that for 12 years. During the, all this hard time, she held on to her belief that God cared for her and that God was interested in her. So she appealed to the power and the authority of Jesus by touching the, hem, the fringe on the hem of his coat. She appealed to that power that was resting on Jesus, just like the authority of God resting on Saul, the authority of God resting on Jesus, and this woman appealed to it by touching that little fringe on the bottom of his coat. Some beliefs... Are worth waiting for. There's probably many in this body that are waiting in belief that God's going to do something in their life. Something to relieve them from a sickness, maybe perilous, whatever it is, maybe kids coming back. All of us have something that we're waiting for and some beliefs are worth it. Let's roll that clip. Sonia. Blessed are you shaking your head 
A two tiny fish and some bread Blessed are you as you tremble and wait For the first stone thrown at your sinful disgrace Tell me your story I'll show you what love sees When love looks at you Hand me the pieces Broken and bruised And I'll show you what love sees When love sees you
So what about us? Yeah. Put this at the top of your conviction list. God loves you. Blessed. You're blessed. God loves you. He's for you. He isn't some kind of cosmic cop waiting to whack you if you screw up. Probably a good portion of us, as, as the Spirit nudges us, you'd be thinking about those beliefs that we hold that we've not held true to. Good, good portion of us. Truth. We all hold truth as paramount, don't we? And it is a characteristic of Christ that, that we're supposed to find in us as God changes us. Truth. Maybe you hid the truth. Maybe you weren't as truthful with the person at the counter as you should have been. Every once in a while we get those, don't we? <laughs> Kindness. Maybe, maybe you haven't been as kind as you want to be. We have that in front of us, don't we? We have this want to be Maybe you should give your old dad a few more hugs. Wash his pickup. <laughs> I think for me, the thing that I've been messing up with the most these days is joy. Joy. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, joy. There's, I've, I mean, I got lots of reasons, maybe excuses. The, there just seems like something profoundly wrong with our country that that's really bothering me a lot. But it shouldn't take away my joy because joy is given by God, not by circumstance. I want to do better, and I want to be changed by God to be able to show joy even in the worst of circumstances. While you're thinking, think about a conviction that you hold and, and you live bold. Because we all need a few attaboys. <laughs> I think we're probably... Kimberly, would you get your crew? I think we need to hear more of you. I hold this conviction that God is transforming us. Let's read this 2 Corinthians. It says, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He's talking about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. And he'd been spending so much time with God that his face glowed. And he was scaring people. And so they put a veil over his face so that he wouldn't scare people. But it was the glory of the Lord, and so we have this with unveiled, unveiled faces. We see the glory of the Lord in ourselves. But we all with unveiled face, the, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We've got this. It's His power and authority that is changing us. It's not our willpower that does this. It's Him that changes us. It's His. 
God uses every circumstance as good or bad. I don't know what you're facing, what you've been through, whether it's joy today that you're facing or maybe uh, a little sorrow. But God uses it to change you into his image. It will be joy for you. Do you want to change? Let's ask him that. Let's touch that fringe on his coat because he is the one with the power and the authority to change you. There's a thing about disciples, and the word disciple almost means this. Live so close to him that you breathe the dust he kicks up when he walks. So live close, because that's the only way that we'll change. It's not through our, through our willpower. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this opportunity today to hear your word. We thank you for your word that, that through the years it's remained true, that it's just incredible how it affects us and how it pertains to the time that we live in. We thank you for that. We thank you for the change that you're making in us. Lord, we thank you for, your, for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.